Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 742nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is using bamboo to help address our climate changes. We're talking with David Sands about bamboo in construction. David is the founder, director, and chief product officer for Bamboo Ecologic Corporation and Rhizome, a company that is reforesting thousands of acres and producing laminated bamboo building materials. Their mission, sequester gigatons of carbon by developing giant bamboo into a primary global building material. David has also helped develop the first U.S. building code standard for structural bamboo. As a side note, I do want to share that I found Rhizome on an investment platform that I belong to, and I have invested in the company, which I'm really excited about. Welcome to the show today, David. Are you ready to rock bamboo? Ready to rock bamboo, yes. <laughs> Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure, you bet. So I've had a lifetime filled with bamboo. I grew up in Florida and I grew up playing in a bamboo grove. As a Boy Scout, I was building towers and bridges out of bamboo. Really? And Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I built a house on Maui, and they delivered the lumber. I was trying to be as green as I could, so it was totally off-grid, all photovoltaic. One of the big hotels remodeled, so I bought 50 of these huge mahogany doors, so it was recycled materials. But wow. they delivered the lumber and it was just a gut punch. It was really, there's a whole forest that goes into every house in the United States. Yes, I'm an architect and I just can't be part of this. I need to figure out a different way of doing things. And so the friend that helped me build the house, we started Bamboo Living together. And we've been doing houses since 95 with that company. And then in 09, I wrote a paper on using bamboo for carbon sequestration. And then I thought, oh, somebody's going to pick this up and run with it. And I realized, oh, that's got to be us. Right. Because it wasn't we got to be that somebody, right? <laughs> we got to be that somebody. So we 
started another company called Rhizome that really is focused on addressing the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And really, as you mentioned, planting thousands of acres of bamboo, both in the Philippines and starting down in Florida as well, and then moving into Vietnam and Australia. We got, I'm excited, step by step. Wow. And yeah. Rhizome, it, what's the whole process? What happens there? Sure. One of the things with lumber from trees is basically you're killing the tree when you harvest it. And that's true for almost every type of lumber typically used for construction. And with the bamboo, the plants can live 100, 120 years. Wow. And you're, the one I played in is over 120 years old. So as a kid, so it's, it's a long lived plant and you can harvest every year. With the giant bamboos, we're harvesting about a ton of material every year. So we just go back to the same plants every year and harvest a new, the, we're harvesting the three-year-old to five-year-old material, but so, the plant itself is, keeps going. Yeah. So this is truly a regenerative product. It just keeps it, growing and you just harvest it just like grass. It is a grass, it, right? Exactly. It's a giant grass. It's the fastest growing woody plant on the planet. If you look up fastest growing plant on Guinness Book of Records, it's a giant bamboo. It grows almost three feet a day. So it's pretty phenomenal. Three yeah. feet a day? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it can be one to three feet a day. So it's, but you'll end up with a hundred foot tall bamboo pole in just a few months. And then it takes a couple of years for it to build its structure. When it shoots, they call them bamboo shoots because they really shoot. They're growing that fast. Yeah. And then once they get to the full height, then they start leafing out. And as they leap out, they're building structure to hold that leaf mass and the wind. But by year three, you've got incredibly strong building material. And depending on the species, some of them you want to wait till year four or five. Yeah. But it, it's a phenomenal machine for generating building material. Wow. And you mentioned something called carbon sequestration. It's not something we've talked a lot about on the show. Can you speak to that and then sure. speak to how bamboo addresses that? Absolutely. All of the climate impacts that we're seeing, the droughts in the West, the flooding in the East, larger hurricanes, more tornadoes. All that's coming because we've pumped more CO2 into the atmosphere from our burning of fossil fuels. It's what's driven our industrial revolution, but we need to be shifting away from that. So there's a couple of ways we do that. One of them is like electric cars, so mm -hmm. we're not burning fuel. Photovoltaic, so that we're not burning coal for power or gas, natural gas. And then the other side of that is we need to get that CO2 out of the atmosphere. So we've got 200 years of CO2 in the atmosphere. And to get back to a, what would have been our atmosphere 50, 100, 200 years ago, we need to get that CO2 out. And that's what's carbon sequestration. It's, it's really how do you get the, CO, the high levels of CO2 we've created out of the atmosphere. So because bamboo is the fastest growing woody plant, it's got to be the pretty much the fastest natural way to get CO2 out of the atmosphere. 
And what's fascinating about that is you need a storage mechanism for that CO2 after it comes out of the atmosphere. What happens is the bamboo building material is the storage mechanism. So you cut that bamboo down, it's 50% carbon. It's so funny, the numbers are a little strange, but because bamboo is 50%, bamboo fiber is 50% carbon, and carbon is one third of the molecular weight of CO2, every ton of bamboo that we put into a building, we're saving 1.83 tons of CO2 has been pulled out of the atmosphere. Yeah, so it's quite the... And then what's the other, yeah. And hold on to that other thing though. Yeah, but, sure, yeah, yeah. So carbon is a gas. So ton of carbon, given it's a gas, it's really light. That's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's fascinating is, uh, again, the carbon is the one third. The problem gas is the CO2, carbon dioxide. And carbon is only a third of that molecule. Again, when we turn it into a ton of building materials, it's done more than that. It's almost double the impact yeah. on the atmosphere. So yeah. let's touch on that a little bit. CO2 sure. is yeah. carbon dioxide, right? Exactly. And so that's yeah. one carbon and two oxygens. Exactly. Got it. All and, right. and they have a similar molecular weight. So it ends up being that the carbon is about a third of the molecular weight of a CO2 molecule. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a lever. And then there's another lever on top of this. So for every ton of bamboo building material we make, we're saving either a ton of wood, steel, or concrete from being used. Oh, yes. And wood, steel, and concrete combined together are 25% of our global emissions. So it's a wow. huge deal. Yeah. And then the bamboo plant itself, when you harvest it, you're keeping the above ground material at a steady state. So you're harvesting between 20 and 33%, depending on whether they're three-year-old or five-year-old poles. But the Low ground, the plant is continuing to expand, and it's also building a soil carbon from the leaf matter and the biological activity in the soil. So there's a lever on that side. And then there's with the trees, with the replacing wood, with concrete, it's pretty straightforward because you basically, there's still a little bit of a lever because of like a wood building of the same size weighs 20% of a concrete building. So every ton of wood is saving about five tons of concrete from being used. Most of the concrete in a concrete building is holding itself up because it's so heavy. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the bamboo is actually stronger than most of the wood used for construction. It's about twice as strong. The lever point could be almost a one to 10 in terms of its impact on concrete. Yeah. And then with wood, what you're doing is you're saving those trees from ever being cut. So they are storage mechanisms out in the forest. They are constantly, what they're doing is they're turning CO2 into wood fiber. And if you leave the tree alone, it keeps growing three-dimensionally. And also it's under the ground root mass. And so by switching to bamboo, you're saving, and what's fascinating is 
the growth rate of the bamboo is so high that one acre of bamboo will produce the same amount of material as 10 acres of Douglas fir and more than 15 acres of pine. Wow. So you're leaving your forests intact for extending their growth cycle. And that has a really big impact. Again, if you don't harvest for an additional 30 years, you, the loggers still have their asset. It's just getting bigger. Mm -hmm. And But what they're doing is it's storing carbon for those additional 30 years. And those could be the years where we're making our transition to net zero. Yeah. So it's a big deal. And that's why I'm really excited about bamboo and passionate about rhizome and bamboo living and all the work we've been doing. So that's one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on the show here today is to share about that excitement because what you're doing is cultural changing work, I think, is it not? It is. It really is. It's changing the way we build. And, and actually, one of the pieces is what will happen is you won't be able to see the difference other than the material will be much more beautiful than the previous wood materials, mm -hmm. and you'll be helping the climate. The, I think I mentioned that the bamboo is about twice as strong as the wood used, yep. but it's also gorgeous. It stains like a hardwood. It has the density of a hardwood. And, and then the other thing that's fascinating is, so when you replace it with, when you're replacing steel, the bamboo has a higher strength to weight ratio than the steel does. The steel has a, a higher cross-sectional strength. It's about twice as strong on a cross-section but the cross-section of steel weighs five times as much as the bamboo does. So when you run those numbers out, it's actually more than twice as strong as the steel on a weight basis. Wow. Yeah. How, how, yeah, it's just like, that is truly a wow. How yeah. did you figure all this out? I, what happened is I said, I can't use wood anymore and I'm an architect. So what am I going to do? And so then we, uh, we'll build with bamboo. And the friend that I started the company with was, we just had to figure it out. It was, okay, I, what are my options? I just need to figure out how to work with this material, how to design with it, how to get code approval. So that was a 10-year labor of love just to get the Bamboo Living Company started, which was my first company. Mm -hmm. We started building the, built the first bamboo house I think it was the first permitted one in the U.S. back in 95, and then rapidly realized we needed a U.S. building code. So then that was another seven-year process. So I didn't pay myself for 10 years. <laughs> I made a living doing my other architecture projects, yeah. but I said, I've got to get this thing done, and I've got to get it figured out. And once we had a U.S. building code, then we could have a company. Well, but huge. That, again, yeah. I, I actually have two degrees in urban planning. Oh, and wow. So I've okay. had, I, yeah. I have a little bit of experience. I haven't done anything in building and I haven't done much in urban planning, but I've done a lot in environmental planning. And I have a little bit of experience on codes and how they impact building and building materials and that kind of stuff. And say a little more about you could have a company now that there was a building code for it. Sure. So what happens is to get to build in the U.S., you need to get a building permit. And to get a building permit, you have to apply to the local jurisdiction. It's usually the county, that sort of thing. 
can be a city. And there's an organization that writes 90% of the building code in the U.S. It used to be called the International Council of Building Officials. And now it's called the International Code Council. And so we worked with them for seven years to actually get that standard through. And that was an adventure. I'm sure. Yeah, really. I got myself invited onto this international committee that was working on building codes for the ISO, the International Standards Organization. And I just said, I need to do this. And I talked to the head of the committee and, and then I brought on the vice president of IC Evaluation Services. So it was the, the vice president of the code writing agency in the US. And we sat on these meetings with engineers from all around the world, figuring out what are the issues with bamboo? How, do, how is it different? How is it similar? What needs to be addressed? And all of that work gave us a platform to build the kind of the credibility to get the approval process. Wow. Yeah. That is a huge legacy for you to leave. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It felt, it was an amazing process for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about rhizome and yes. how the process works from, let's start with, did you guys just decide one day you wanted to build wood products out of bamboo? How'd that happen? Yeah. So what happened was, is we did an analysis of bamboo living, like a, a an environmental footprint of the Bamboo Living Company. Yep. And the biggest environmental impact was wood plywood that we were using for mm. some subsheathing. Yep. And so I just said, we need to innovate an affordable bamboo plywood. If you go buy bamboo plywood in the store right now, it's two to $300 for a four foot by eight foot sheet. Wow. It's not going to compete with wood at those kind of prices. It ends right. up in, in high-end Italian kitchens and things like that. To make it affordable, there were two pieces. One of them, you have to make an affordable supply chain. So you need a large-scale supply of it, and it needs to be easy to process and all of that. We spent years looking around the world to find the biggest bamboo already standing. And so that's why we're in the Philippines. And it's phenomenal. It's, it can be 100 feet tall. It can, the base of it's like a dinner plate. And uh, Whoa. You know, yeah, one of these poles can, the average coming into the factory is 220 pounds per pole. And that's not even the whole pole. That's up to about 45 feet. Oh, so wow. it's, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a phenomenal bamboo. And it was the island where we're working was, unfortunately, was deforested a, a couple of generations ago. And the forest did not come back. So a lot of it's now grassland. And when they would try to replant the little trees, they changed their microclimate by cutting the forest. So then they have brush fires in the dry season. The brush fires killed everything but the bamboo. So the only thing that they could replant with was the bamboo. So for the last 30 years, there's been a lot of giant bamboo planted. And that's Again, why we're there is to be able to turn that into products and build an industry around it. And then at the same time is helping reforest. So we're not only planting, I mentioned we're planting thousands of acres of bamboo. We're also planting native hardwoods in with that. Um, And yeah, yeah. 
So the goal is really to recreate the bamboo. We only use non-invasive bamboo. There's actually two groups of bamboo. There's the runners and the clumpers, and yep. we only use clumpers. So the they don't turn into a monoculture. They stay put. They get really big, but they stay put. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. That's good to know, because yeah. I, I know here in North Carolina, driving the roads, there's bamboo growing everywhere. And right. it, it's right. one of the invasive ones. And it, Heidi mentioned, my partner mentioned, would you want to plant some bamboo? And I said, I don't think so, because <laughs> it's pretty invasive. Once it's there, you're stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. And those are the species we don't use. So the, yeah. there's a lot of them. There's about 1,500 species of bamboo. There's only a couple of dozen that are really great for construction. So those we focus on those. And, yeah. Nice. All right. So we have this product, bamboo. Yeah, yeah. What happens next? Sure. So then the pieces are is making different kinds of materials with it. So we do a laminated product, this sort of stuff. It's really... This is a plywood, three-layer three, three layer plywood out of it. And it takes stains beautifully. It's incredibly structural, very high values. And, and so that's one line. And then there's another called strand woven, which is really, it's a crushed bamboo that's, you'll see it in, there's different types of flooring made out of it now. And, so it's using it's, the fibers. Exactly. And under pressure. So it's under mm -hmm. significant pressure. So it's very dense. But you can use it for siding. You can use it for decking. It's a pretty phenomenal material. So the plywood is what, three, half to three quarters of an inch thick? Yeah, exactly. The, the yeah. stuff for the decking would have to be thicker. Not necessarily because it's so strong that it can span, normally might require an inch and a half. It can do in less than that. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's a third type of product. Those are really what I'd call hardwood replacements because mm -hmm. they're really gorgeous and beautiful. M most of the wood used in construction is going into a substrate material called oriented strand board. And that is uh, OSB. OSB. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Good. Yeah. So it's the most affordable way to buy structural wood right now. And the bamboo makes a beautiful OSB. So that's one of the products that we're, we're not quite there yet, but that's where we're moving into is we need to have the supply to feed a, OSB mills are big. And so we need to build up the supply to, to actually feed a large scale mill. But then it'll become the most affordable building material on the planet, which will speed up its uptake into construction. So that's our, the project trajectory that we're on with it. How many years are we talking about getting there? Yeah, it's for the OSB, it's six to eight years. Yeah, wow. it can be, actually be quicker than that in terms of that's typically for fully mature bamboo, but the OSB, you can actually begin harvesting earlier than that. So we might be five years, from, but we've got to get the finished up to the large scale planting. We just had the former Secretary of Agriculture for the Philippines join our board. And, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. And he and our chairman went around and met with all of the tribal leaders, the province governors, and lined up a million hectares, which is two and a half million acres of deforested land, which the landowners really want to, us to bring the bamboo there in terms of reforesting their land, creating jobs, and generating an economy there. 
we originally were thinking that the, our market was the U.S., uh, but the interest in the Philippines has been tremendous. And their version of Home Depot, their version of Ace Hardware have both asked for the material. Wow. Um, the top architects in the country were doing projects for them right now. So it's highly likely that most of what we'll be doing will be used right there in the Philippines. Yeah, I was a little bummed about that when I heard about that because I was sure. Uh, I think I reached out to your team and said, where can I get it in North Carolina? I got some projects. Oh, well, it'll, it's coming, but it's not there yet. Uh, it's once We still want to build the U.S. market for it, and there's two ways to do that. One of them is bringing material from the Philippines. The other one is planting a large scale in Florida. So we've done the test plots in Florida. What's fascinating is the bamboo grows about twice as fast in Florida under agriculture conditions as it does as a reforestation project in the Philippines. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So we're seeing in two years that we can get 45 to 60 foot tall material. And so that's what I was saying is with the OSB is we think we can get that down to maybe five years to where you've got a mature grove that you're harvesting from. That's pretty exciting. So uh, from a business perspective, it looks like yeah. one of the big problems, let's not call it a problem, one of the big challenges for your business is actually coming up with bamboo. Sure. Yeah. To get the, build the supply chain. Yeah. And that's, but the that's, interest is there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's really why you haven't seen bamboo as an affordable wood alternative is the supply chain's never been built out for it. And again, like I said, as you can go by two to three hundred dollars sheets. It's it's you're not going to be competing with wood for construction like that. Yeah. And I know I've heard of bamboo flooring. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. that anything you're doing or it is for some of the projects we're taking the boards and then tongue and grooving them and making flooring out of them. Yeah. In that case it's kind of customer driven. We have some big customers for the flooring. So we're moving in that direction as well. Nice. Yeah, And a few years ago, a buddy of mine applied for something called the X Prize. And oh, you guys yeah. jumped into that, did you not? And did you make yeah. some headway? Sure did. Sure did. Well, As we're a top 60 finalist in the first round, and they sent us a letter afterwards saying that we're one of the top contenders for the grand prize. And they asked us to stay in the next round for that reason. And what's fascinating is they don't even count avoided emissions. So in their judging, they just count what you're actually pulling out of the atmosphere yeah. and locking up. So most solutions really just have that one component is drawdown and storage because we're focused on building materials has this avoided emissions that more than doubles the impact. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, just for clarity, when you're sure. harvesting the CO2. Yeah. Through the bamboos mm. holding on to it forever, essentially. It, exactly. That bamboo fiber, the material itself is 50% carbon by weight. Mm. Wow. So yeah. Half of the weight of this board is carbon. And that carbon is, again, one third of the molecular weight of the CO2. Whatever the weight of this board, almost twice this weight has been sequestered of CO2 in this board. And as long as this board 
doesn't get burnt or end up rotting someplace mm-hmm. stored. It's a long-term storage mechanism. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go for a walk in your bamboo grove. I'm sure you have bamboo growing around your house, right? I, I do. Yeah, I do. I planted a, a basically what I call a food forest. So everything on the property is pretty much everything is edible. So there's a, a species of bamboo called Nastus alatus where you can just break the shoots off and eat them. And then there's one of the giant bamboos that we're planting in both the Philippines and Florida that gets to be 100 feet tall. And my property isn't that big, but I just, I said, I have to plant one. It's really, it's going to be huge. It's already big, but it's, nice. and that one is edible too, but you have to cook it. Yeah. You, you cut the shoots and then, you know, wow. yeah. yeah. So if people want to find out more about Rhizome, number one, are you still taking investors? We are. The scale of the investment has risen. So we're not doing the crowdfunding that we've done in the past, but okay. we can take on direct investments through a what they call a convertible note. And so we're, that's still a possibility. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And that's that I got in the crowdfunding. Oh, okay. Sure. The level. Yeah. Thank so, you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And how do we find Rhizome and find out more about the company? Sure. So the website is www.rhizomebamboo.com. And that's rhizome spelled R-I-Z-O-M-E-B-A-M-B-O-O.com. Perfect. I'm going to shift on you. And I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Sure. Happy to do that. We were running around the world trying to find the biggest bamboo. We found a lot of existing bamboo in Brazil. It was part of a a forest stewardship council forest that was being harvested on on a sustainable basis. And the bamboo was in that forest and naturally occurring. And so we spent a couple of years and a lot of money and developed a project there. Uh, We were going to buy a plywood mill that was making wood plywood and mm-hmm. convert it to all bamboo. So about a week or two before that project was to fully fund and move ahead, the fellow that owned the existing wood plywood factory, he was not going to have anything to do with the business other than selling us the, the factory setting with the machines and the roof. Uh-huh. And he got arrested for illegal logging and the government seized his factory. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And the whole deal unraveled. So the investors stepped back. The we it was I went and got treated for PTSD after. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I just thought this is too important and stop. So yeah. it was like, what do we do next? I was already, I'd been working in Vietnam for decades. I knew where the bamboo was. It wasn't a giant bamboo, but there was a lot of it. So I thought, let's just pivot. We'll start putting a project together there. And we did that. But there was a fellow that had a furniture factory that asked to start making bamboo living houses at his factory. So I'd gone to visit him in the Philippines. And we kept hearing stories about this American who had planted thousands of acres of giant bamboo. But 
it was like a kind of myth because nobody seemed to know who it was or where the bamboo was. And so we're working in Vietnam and there were some hiccups. To, there was a paper mill that we were competing with for the, the source material and, and they wanted it cut younger than what we needed for structural applications. I asked our factory manager who was from the Philippines to see if he could find that giant bamboo. And he did. He's not an American, but he was over six feet tall. So everybody had assumed he was. Uh-huh. And his family had been the logging family on the island for generations. So they had deforested much of the island and he was trying to plant it back. And again, because of the fires, the only thing that worked was the giant bamboo. So for a generation, he had been planting this giant bamboo. So we were introduced and he said, you're the answer to my prayers. I've been planting this, but there's been no market and getting people to plant when there's no short. Exactly. Exactly. So we've developed the market. Like I said, the former secretary of agriculture has come on board. His dad actually planted the bamboo that we're currently harvesting. They used to own Del Monte and at the edge of the pineapple fields, his dad planted this giant bamboo to stop the erosion and to catch the fertilizer before it got into the streams. And so now that bamboo is 30 years old and we've been working with the employee co-op, which owns the land to harvest that bamboo together. Wow! Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a big circle. (laughs) That's a huge success. Yeah, it really is. What drives you? I think when I was 22, I said, okay, my goal for myself is to get enlightened in this lifetime. (laughs) And at some point I came up with what my goal in terms of what I'm doing here is to create an enlightened world. So I've been trying to figure out what that is for a lot of years. I thought I would do it by the time I was 40. And when I was 39, one of my good friends said, you better change your definition. And, (laughs) (laughs) but it still powers me. I have a yoga practice I've done for 50 years, meditation as well, breathing, breathing exercises. And so that's been between yoga and bamboo are the two pillars in my life, I would say. Yeah. When you shared that you were looking for an enlightened life, I laughed. That was a laughter of recognition because oh, <laughs> that's wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. I felt what else is more worthwhile to go after. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Sure. It would be Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. That had the biggest, I read it probably when I was 20 or 21, right before I made the decision, I want to get enlightened. Because after I read that book, I said, that's what I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) And I just started doing transcendental meditation. And I just thought, oh my goodness, this is a phenomenal tool. It's funny. I was just over at a friend's house and picked up another biography of Yogananda. And my fascination has never ended. Never waned. Continues to this day. Never waned, yeah. And you're involved with Kripala Yoga, are you not? I am. I was their chairman at the turn of the last century. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. In my 20s and 30s, when I said I want to get enlightened, Ram Dass came around to the school where I was and said, hey, if you're serious about it, go live in an ashram. So (laughs) I graduated and I moved into an ashram. Nice. 
Yeah. And Kripala's got a facility in somewhere in the eastern United States. Yeah, exactly. Western Massachusetts. It's beautiful property. It's the Andrew Carnegie's old estate. He gave it to the Jesuits and they accidentally, one of the monks smoking in bed burnt down the manor house. And then they built a huge monastery there. And we bought it for next to nothing. It was a, the property itself was back. This was back in the early eighties was probably worth $20 million, but uh, we bought it for a million and a quarter because <laughs> nobody wanted it. What are you going to do with yeah. four acres of building with monk cells? But it was gorgeous. It, it was on a hillside, runs down mm-hmm. to a lake. And I have a funny story is my dad came to visit me and we we're walking up the lawn of the ashram and we had a fleet of little Tercel Toyotas that we had bought because we had mm-hmm. a, about 300 staff at that point. And he turns to me and he said, I just never thought you'd be the one with the big house and all the cars. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Don't they have another facility in Pennsylvania? They did. They did did. for years. That's where I first moved in was in Pennsylvania. And then, yeah, go ahead. Because I've actually been there. I did some yoga there. I'm going to say around the turn of the century. Okay. Okay, Yeah, 99, 2000, 2001, I was there for a week or two. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful organization and continues to do good work to this day. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for doing that. That's uh, very needed. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Sure, is take the time to figure out what your soul work journey here is. And also, once you decide is commit to a hundred percent because that's what it takes. Yeah. There will be things that come up that would dissuade you. And unless you've got that level of commitment to see through it. And what's phenomenal is every time you do get through one of those chapters, there's a sense of accomplishment and a sense of willfulness of yeah. that I can really make a difference. And so I think it's essential perseverance and a really clear vision. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll bet you get a lot of good input about the difference you make in the world. Do you not? I have been. Yeah, I have been. And and it's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the reason I do what I do, but hearing from my listeners that they did something different or they transformed something. It's wow. Okay. There, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had people inspire me that same thing of, I would see them do that. And I said, okay, I want to make a difference like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, David. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. You bet. Yeah. When I, when I invested maybe six, eight months ago, I started looking at your company and said, wow, hold on here. Time out. This is a game changing company for the construction industry. And then that's when I started looking, where can I get some? And so I did a little (laughs) thank you. So Yeah, thanks for that. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Sure. Is my email is David at rhizomebamboo.com. It's R-I-Z-O-M-E-B-A-M-B-O.com. Perfect. That's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash bamboo timber. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org 
or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.